Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. Christmas is here, and this is a good season, and it can be also a bad season for a lot of people. It, it can be a, a very difficult season. Um, our kids club families, many of kids coming from broken families. Christmas is a lot of disappointment and um, it can bring up a lot of hurt. So, you know, we, we have to be very sensitive to that and we're extending the love of Jesus to these kids and we've got the opportunity to have an, a wonderful Christmas party with them. What day is it again? It's the 4th, 13th and uh, just a good celebration and, and, and celebrate you know, Jesus and his love, and it's, it's such a powerful time, those moments, because, you know, it can be a very low moment, but then Jesus can come and minister to that area, uh, and it can become a very high moment, and so we, we're believing for him to touch people's lives in that way, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this, uh, the Christmas story, we're going to look at this in the next two weeks, and then our Christmas service is going to be more of a family-friendly service on the 18th. Um, we're going to have Christmas carols. We're going to have the Christmas story read from the Bible. We're going to have poems. We're going to have just a bunch of different things. Kids are going to do something. The kids are going to be in the service. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit different for that. But for this, these next two weeks, I'm going to be looking at the Christmas story. And we're going to look at two things. Because I see this going on all the time in... And when God works, there's the problem or there's the plan. And both are going simultaneously at the same time. Now, heaven is never in a panic. God has no problems. He only has plans. Doesn't matter what's coming. All the stuff that we're seeing going on right now, read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Daniel you'll see that these things were prophesied, that these things are unfolding, that end time things are beginning to happen. God already knows all these things. And he has a plan in the midst of problems. Amen? So what we have to decide is, do I want to be a part of the problem or do I want to be a part of the plan? And we're going to look at this in, in terms of the Christmas story because... I, I never saw it this way, but so many times God does things um, in a way that we didn't ever expect. How many have experienced that? And he didn't ask your permission. <laughs> he didn't, uh, you know, when he messed everything up. But um, he, the outcome is always good when you see it through to the end. And, you know, if you're in the midst of something, in the middle of it, you can't maybe say that, but I can say on things that I have gone through and come out the other side and I've trusted him, it's always been good. When I haven't trusted him, no. And he's not to blame for that. We have to own it. We didn't trust him. We dropped the ball. And even in that, he's redemptive. And he comes in and he helps us if we need a redo in a situation, uh, how many have ever failed? <laughs> oh, 
right? Like, you, you know, that's part of it. He gives, he gives strength to the weak. He knows our weaknesses, and, he, and, he, and he's helping us to overcome. Um, that quote that I use, you know, heaven's not in a panic, heaven uh, has no problems, or God has no problems, only plans. That was Corey Ten Boom. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen the movie The Hiding Place, powerful, powerful movie. Um, yeah, write it down. Well, 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 worth watching. It's a true story. And this lady went through the Holocaust. She went through because she was a Dutch woman, and her family hid Jewish people during the Holocaust. And they got caught. And so they all went to prison. She lost her whole family, except for a, a very few relatives. Her mom, her sister, all of them passed away. A few cousins lived, but the majority died. She went through at 52, 53 years old, not much younger than I am. Completely altered her whole life. Completely changed the whole course of her life. She was confronted with hatred like never before. She was betrayed by her very friends that were the ones that basically exposed them and got them caught for doing what was right. Now, there were two people in the midst of this when you watch this movie. They, they, they show primarily Betsy, her sister, and her. Now, Corey was very feisty. She was more stubborn. Betsy was very loving, very, very in love with the Lord. And she was also weaker in her body. And so the, the beatings and everything took a lot on her, but she was always thankful. And she was always giving God thanks. And she was beginning to see things that Corey couldn't see. And every time Corey wanted to hate them, and she would get so mad at them and, and wanted, you know, Betsy would say, Corey, Corey. We have to love our enemies, and she would love them, and she would bless them. You know, they had rice, in, or not rice, lice. <laughs> they, they had rice, too, but they had lice, an infestation of lice in their barracks. And Corey was so mad because, it, you know, it was, it was annoying. But Betsy said, we have to thank God for everything. And she thanked God, and she thought, you know, Betsy, you're loopy. Like, what are you doing? But here the, she finds that after the, the war... Their barracks was the only barracks where the guards didn't come in and rape the women because it was infested with lice. They were protected. And then Betsy was saying, begin to see things as she was beginning to get weaker and weaker in her body. See, Corey was only seeing the problem in the midst of this as they were going through it. She was wanting to trust, but Betsy was seeing the plan. And she would say, you know, Corey, I see this, this place that we're in right now. I see flowers, and I see that when we get out of this, we're going to be helping people. We're going to be giving the message of forgiveness, and we're going to be restoring people's lives. And, and this is going to be turned into a place of healing. Corey's like, you're going loopy, Betsy. Like, she honestly, she did believe her, but she was like, this is too far out there. And she says, Corey, I see our name going all over and we're going to tell everyone about Jesus. It's going to be everywhere. Little did she know there would be a movie that would be made back in 
I think I was eight years old when I saw it. But it marked my life. When I saw that movie, I was crying in my room, eight years old. My mom comes in, she's like, what's wrong? I said, are we going to have to pay that price? Is that what our faith is going to cost us? It hit me so hard. That's the extent. But you know what? Everything Betsy saw, Betsy passed away. She said, Corey, we're going we're gonna to see this. She talked as if they both were going to see it. But what she didn't know is Betsy was going to be watching from the other side. They were both going to be. But Betsy walked with the plan, with a thankful heart. And she enjoyed the journey. How many want to enjoy the journey a little more? Because we got enough people complaining, talking about the problem, talking about this, talking about this, talking about this. It's like, you know what? I don't want to be focused on that. In the midst of this, God has a plan. Let's get excited about his plan. And if we can't get excited because we don't know what he's doing, then we can be excited about the one who is doing something. And in the midst of it, we can have, like Betsy, that assurance and that knowing and walk in love, steadfastness, and joy, and strength, all these things that know, and peace, just to have peace. And you know, a lot of our striving comes because we pick up this care, we pick up this care, we pick up this battle, we pick up this thing, we pick up all these things along the way. And we, we just hold on to these things, and it's like, no, they're not ours. They're not ours. We live in, a, in our culture. It's just so ingrained in our culture. Save yourself, save yourself. God helps those who help themselves. How many have heard that stupid saying? No, God helps those who can't help themselves. If he didn't, we'd all be sunk. We all have times when we cannot make it on our own. Every one of us. And he came to us right in the midst of that. And that's what I love about the, the whole Bible. It's a love story about how God came down. We're going to look at First Peter. We're going to read a passage of scripture. It's going to bring context into this. But I want us to, I want to just um, uh, speak out what, what God spoke to me coming into this, this new season. He said, new thoughts, new dreams, new ways, new season. New thoughts, new dreams, new ways, new season. These are going to begin to unfold. And a new thought can only come when God puts it there. Whether through his word, whether through a situation he can download something. But a new, there's nothing more powerful than a new thought. How many know a bad thought can also change your life? So can a new thought. And a new thought, when God gives you something and that gives you, begins to give you a new picture, a new dream, and then you be, have new ways that you begin to do things and you create a whole new season. Because when you change, everything changes. And that's what God is looking at. Is Each person, he's called us and let's go to 1 Peter 1.13. It 
It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. So prepare your minds for action. In other words, another translation says, be, be sober-minded and alert. So those are things that we can do. Now, I used to be a, a figure skater. I used to be an athlete. And when you had to compete, you had to prepare your mind. And you had to be prepared to go out there and to focus and to do what you had to be intentional. You're going to, oh, we'll just see what happens. No, if you want to win, if you don't want to be uh, someone who makes a mess of everything and, and looks horrible, you want to go in with the intention, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to be alert. I'm I'm ready. That's how we need to approach this walk with God. It's not this casual, oh, we'll see what God does today. Let's see, oh, let's see which way is the wind blowing today. Oh, I don't know how I'm, you know, just kind of, it's just blowing. No, no, it's this here. Prepare your minds for action. Action. In other words, you're not a thermometer measuring the temperature. You're a thermostat. You come in, you're like, it's too cold in here. Right? Let's turn this up. Action. Then it says here, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now... But now you must be holy in everything you do. In everything you do. Ah, why does it have to say everything? Does that mean everything? It means everything. Well, I wasn't quite holy in the way that I spoke to my wife. Exactly. I'm using it as an example, although I have done that. I'm not Jesus. (laughs) But that's what we need to do right away. Repent, get back, because in everything that we do, we must aim to to be holy, to, to live like him. It says, just as God chose you, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. I love this. God's not unjust. God's not, oh, I like you. You know, you you sing my favorite songs and you make me feel good. And I like you. You're in my fave group, you know. And it's like, no, this this is how he looks at us all. It says here, no favorites. He says he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So if it requires a judgment, he will give the judgment. If it requires a reward, he'll give the reward. And we, we have to know he's just and he will do what is right. But he doesn't look at some and say, I give this one a favor. No, if you break the rules and you do things a certain way, he has to judge that that way. If you do something right and you push through and you're obedient, he can reward you. And there's a reason he rewards you. And there's a reason that there's judgment. And even in his judgment, there's mercy. 
There's always mercy. He never writes us off. He never, up. Oh, you know what? I'm done with you. You've, just, you've done it enough times. Pfft, done. No, in his judgment, he's trying to get to us. He's trying to redeem us. He's trying to get us to wake up. He's trying to get us to change. He's trying to get us. He remembers. It says here, and and okay, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as what? Temporary residences. Yeah, but my house is paid for. It's still temporary. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, you know, you can't take it with you. It's going to be left to my kids, and hopefully they spend it wisely. But I'm temporary. I'm a temporary resident. And it's a little easier for us to remember when we get older. But when we're younger, it's like the chase. It's like, I'm going to get this and this and this. It's like, and I'm, it's my life. Remember that song? <laughs> It's not a Christian song. But we've all heard it in the mall or whatever. But it's not, it isn't your life. When we come to Christ, we've been paid by a price. And it says here, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So thank you, Uncle George and Aunt Bertha and all of you that gave me this empty life that I inherited from you. <laughs> because all the do's and don'ts and all these things that we say, you know, and it's like, great, they might be great principles and they might have good things in them, but if it's not based on the word of God and it doesn't have the life of God in it, and th I'm thankful for a rich heritage of faith that has been given to me. But that's not my ancestors. That's based on the word of God. That's based on faith in God's faithfulness and his word. That I can bank my life on. But all the other stuff, it's an empty life that we inherited from our ancestors. And it was, and it, it says here, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver. So God ransomed our life and he saved us from this empty life. And he, and he paid for it, not with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. Amen? The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom. I love this. Long before the world began. Why? Because God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. Yeah, but Adam and Eve messed up. Guess what? He already had a plan long before the world began. Another Ephesians says that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. How can he do that? Because God's outside the time capsule. Began here, it ends here, he's outside of it. Christ came, he already paid the price. Now he had to pop into the time capsule and actually fulfill what was already done and do it with human flesh. We're going to look at that in the Christmas story. But God had a plan. Amen? Aren't you glad? Amen. And it says here, 
And it says here, um, before the word began, but now in these last days he has revealed for your sake. And through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. It doesn't say put up with one another. <laughs> it doesn't say, you know, it's God I love, but it's the people I can't stand. You know what that speaks of? Hurt. That speaks of a lot of disappointment and a lot of pain, which Jesus can heal and restore to where you can have love for people again and love deeply. It says here, um, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last, what? Forever. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen? So that's the eternal. That's, do we want the eternal or do we want the temporal? Many of us here, many of you I know, have chose the eternal. But we need to live in the eternal. We need to live like we live forever. Because we do. We live forever. And so my decisions that I make, I'm not just making them based on this earth. I'm making them based on eternity. I'm facing a God that I will face one day when I pass from this life. And my life continues. And I have to give an account for those decisions I make. And I'm not making them just for Joe and Mary and all the rest that are watching me. I'm making them based on eternity. That's how we need to begin to look at our lives. Amen? Not just live in the immediate, but we need to live for something more. We're so, we're so into our, you know, it's like our life was ruined. The internet went down and I have no electricity and our life is ruined. And it's just wrecked. It's like, thank God we're not in Ukraine. Where our house is blown up and we're in freezing cold weather and there's no heat. That we live in a real bubble and we live real comfortable. And there are people there that are having to stretch their faith and they're having to cry out to God in the midst of things that they never would have thought of. And God meets them there just like he meets us here. But he doesn't meet us in our comfort. And we're going to look at this in the Christmas story. We're going to see the Christmas story from a different perspective. Because one thing we're going to see is God came in with a new thought, a new dream. He created a new way and a new season when they didn't want it or they didn't expect it or they didn't know. And I believe that he's going to begin to do that again. 
There are times and there are seasons where things go on for a long time. And before Jesus came, the people were crying out for a Messiah. There was this, this, this holding pattern that had been going on. And, and we know the religious structure. We're going to maybe look at that next week a, a bit. But in the time that Jesus con- confronted that religious um, structure of the day, it was cold, it was hard, it was uh, hardened against God. And we, whenever Jesus was, was really angry and he spoke really harsh, it was to that religious structure. It was never to the, the sinner. And who did he come to? He didn't come to the religious structure to rechange it. He came to fishermen. He came to zealots. His disciples, none of them, were trained, learned men. Talk about a new way. And these 12 men, study your history, look at it, there's books on it, turned the known world upside down. 12. 12 men began something because God was in them. That's what I want to see. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just come and, oh, that was a good service. Worship was good. And, oh, yeah, I felt gushy and goosebumps. And, no, I want to have where my, my thinking is altered and I'm living for more than myself every day. And that my decisions that I'm making are like, okay, God, what is your plan? What are you doing? What can I do to be a part of that plan? Sure, there's a problem, but in the midst of it, what are you doing? Because there's a plan. We're going to look at this. Because God, from the very beginning, man messed up. Adam and Eve. Remember, Eve ate from the tree. The serpent said, you know, eat of it, because he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll know everything. And she's like, yeah, that looks good. I, I want that. She eats it, and then, of course, Adam follows along. And then, of course, when God comes, you know, confronts them, what do they do? The blame game. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. This happens. This is life. This is human nature. But I love this. God, in the midst of it, the very first thing he deals with is he deals with the serpent. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Then God... The Lord God said to the serpent. So after everything was done, God's bringing his judgment in the situation. And he says, and the first one he deals with is the devil. And he says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, and you will crawl on your belly, growling in the dust as long as you live. You know that snakes have the capacity for legs? They, they, if you do studies on it, they say they've evolved and they lost them. But it's like, no, God cursed the legs off of them. They're, that's the evolution. The evolution is cursed. You are legless. <laughs> no legs for you. And, he, and so it says here, and I will cause, look at, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And look at, he, this is prophesying, he will strike your head. He, 
He meaning the promise that is going to come through the woman through generations and generations. He, the Messiah, will strike your head. And yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. But guess what? We get to give the crushing blow when we're with Christ. We give the crushing blow. You don't look convinced. You're like, yeah, maybe. We do! <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, God, from the very beginning, had a plan. And he unfolded it. And he set apart a people. And he made Abraham, father of faith, made a covenant with him. And it began there. Then he raised up a people. And he raised up a nation. And he began to teach him his ways and his laws so they understood him. Then he began to show them about sacrifices and that, that the penalty for sin is death. That that's never going to change. Someone has to pay for it. And then we know that Christ finally came in the fullness of time. God unfolded all of this. It was a constant love story. It wasn't about, are you going to be good enough for me? Are you going to be good enough for me? Are you going to be good enough for me? Are you going to do enough good things where you can come up to me? Are you? No, it's all about God coming down and saying, no, you're not good enough. This is what I'm going to do for you to be able to make a way so that you can. So you, that you can receive what I did for you. It's not going to be brownie points and you earned it. And, and, and why? Because he knew he would have waved it over one another, right? Come on. Let's get honest. Every one of us. You get puffed up. And you're just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm better than you. Look at this. You're struggling with that. It's like, and, and somehow we think we earn some of these things. It's like it's all a gift. It started as a gift from salvation, as a gift. And freely we receive, freely we can give. And that's what we've got to bring it back to. And the Christmas story, what we're going to see here is two things. With two parallels that are constantly going on. There's a problem and there's the plan. And God always makes a way so that we can see his plan. And we have to choose what do we want. And we're going to see this. We're going to look at the book of Matthew. We're going to start there. Matthew is a book that tells us because it's written to a Jewish audience, it explains a lot of scriptures and a lot of prophecies that Christ fulfilled. So it will allude to a lot of those things. The book of Luke was written by, uh, he was written, it was written more for just people. And it gives the people side of the story. So we're going to go between the two so we can see. But in Matthew, I'm, I'm skipping over the genealogy, but, but he basically gives a whole genealogy from Abraham to David, from David. Well, let's go there. It says, all those listed above included 14 generations, Matthew 1:17. Um, included 14 generations of Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Now, why do we have these genealogies? It's because there are people now that are saying the Bible's not legit. Have you read the book of Numbers? There are genealogies upon genealogies of names of this tribe and this tribe and these people. And did someone randomly make up like a gazillion names and a gazillion generations? No. God knew. 
So that alone is proof that this wasn't just random. These people were chosen. They were died. Why do we count people? Because people count. That's why we count people. Oh, who cares? It's like, no, every life matters. But God is not random. He has these genealogies. And he was like, no, he, the promise came to Abraham, the father of faith. He said he would do it. He shows that genealogy. Then he goes from, from Abraham to, uh, the, um, to David. Then he made a covenant with David. Because David built the tabernacle and, or, or started that whole thing. And, and God says, no, I'm making a, a, a covenant with you. And it'll be from your house that the Messiah comes. And so then we know that they went into Babylonian captivity. That was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was all during that time. There were some faithful guys. Daniel got pictures of what was going to happen in the end times. Things that we're going to begin to see now. He saw them thousands of years before. God showed them a plan. And we're seeing it unfold now. He called them silver birds. Why? Because he didn't know planes it wasn't even on the radar but that's what he calls them god gave him a picture can you imagine seeing a picture you're in that time all that stuff's not there and then you you begin to see these things and how do you explain it how do you begin to see those things and 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 explain it so it says here we're going to go to Matthew. We're going to begin to look at this. It says, all those listed above, we went through that. Um, it says here, and this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the very brief version. Luke goes to the behind the, sto the scenes story. How many, there's some people that give you the nutshell and they're like, this is it, this is the bottom line, and you got everyone that gives you all the details, right? How many know there's people that have both sides? <laughs> Dev and Daryl are laughing. That's them. <laughs> and so both are needed at different times. And so in this case, what we need to see is there's a few things we need to understand with this. So many times we, we seem to think, ah, you know what? God just did it. It's like, no, God didn't just do it. God came in a time. Okay, the Messiah had to be born from a virgin. Why didn't he just pick a, a woman who's not engaged to be married? Some single woman. She's a virgin. It's proof she's a virgin. And raise him as a single mom. Anyone thought that? No, it's like we're just kind of, well, guess what? She's engaged to a guy and she gets pregnant. Now, no big deal in our culture right now because marriage is not a big thing. There's no big deal about marriage. You can just have kids and carry on and do everything without ever being married. But in that culture, marriage was sacred. 
you did not open the door to sexual relations until you came into the covenant of marriage and it was holy and it was revered and it was respected. This is the culture Jesus came into. And so when, when Mary was engaged, well, let's go into, into it. So it says in the sixth month, Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's, can we, can we close that door, somebody? Because we've got activity out there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary. It's only Gabriel the angel who stands in the presence of God. So he's glowing. He has to be glowing because he literally is in the presence of God, in the glory of God. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wow. How many know that would be a, quite an interruption in your day? You're like, you're like this random person, and he's like, God found favor with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. How many think Mary's getting some new thoughts here? How many think a new thought's coming? And you know what comes before a new thought many times? Dazed and confused. You're like, and, and there, there can be a season when you're in that, and there's a season, and she was dazed and confused, and she tried to think of what the angel could mean. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give, you, give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? How many know that's a good question? That's not a bad question. It's like, she didn't say, no, there's no way. No, she said, how is this going to happen? And I love this. I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and, his, and is now in her sixth month. For the word, I love this, of God will never fail. And another translation says, for nothing is impossible with God. Do we see two sides again? What did everyone say about Elizabeth? She's barren. She'll never have a baby. Problem. Plan. God's like, no, guess what? They're wrong. 
here's the plan. Because nothing's impossible with me. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. How many know that new thought, that new direction, which created a new way, was going to alter Mary's life for the rest of her life? That completely altered everything. Now, we're looking at this. Yes, there was only one person who had God's baby, right? But there are many things where God wants to bring something in, and he is looking for someone to give that new thought and to begin to open a new way. It only takes one. And he's looking for that one that's willing and yielded and saying, God, you know what? I even find it hard to believe all this, but you can... But let it be according to what you've said. Let it be. And Mary received it. Now it says here, let's go back to Matthew, because Matthew gives us another side. Now, Joseph, see, this is the thing. Whenever God works, there's the human side, and there's problems, and then there's always a plan. Now, the human side is this. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. How many think that's sensible? And God's like, I'm not going to have the Son of God raised by a single mom. He's going to be in a family. This was important to him, right? It says here, as he considered this, what happened? So he had one thought. What happened? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And you know what that word, the name Jesus means? The Lord saves. For he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's Isaiah who prophesied that, again, hundreds of years before. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel, the Lord commanded, and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So God had to come in and interrupt some things. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, that's the story. No, we didn't live this story. They did. Now, Jesus was considered illegitimate. He lit, grew up in, a, in a, a culture. Sure, Joseph's going to say, yeah, you know what? Mary's baby she has right now, it was by the Holy Spirit. And we're not having any sexual relations until after the child's born. How do you think that's going over in the village? Think about it, people. We got to kind of live these things out because we think, oh, my life's so hard. No, there are a lot of things God has you go through that you can't explain. 
Now, you can't give a, 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 a quick answer. There's some things he does, and it's like it doesn't make sense to the natural. When Betsy's going on and telling all, Corey all these things that are going to happen, that looked absurd. Corey, the furthest thing from her mind was a movie, and being in a movie, they were Dutch Reformed people, conservative. They didn't even go to movies. That was a weird thought. That was a weird picture. But it happened. What am I trying to say? As I'm saying, God wants to give us things that are outside our boring train of thought. I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. I owe. And we, we get in these patterns of just... And it's like, no, God wants to do something more. And he comes to a hungry heart that's like aching for something more. No, we can't produce it. But we know, God, you're doing something more. And I want to be a part of that plan. I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be in the plan. And Mary and Joseph were. And so Joseph went on, got on the bandwagon and said, okay, Mary, I'm taking you as my wife. Doesn't matter what everyone says about us. We're taking our little illegitimate child. It's like, did Jesus live with that stigma? Absolutely. He was touched with that. He was touched with that. He lived with that. And he rose above it, and he still was the son of God. Regardless. Regardless. Now it says here, we're going to go back to Matthew. Joseph was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, from, uh, rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, he, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And, he, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And that is a prophecy from Micah 5.2 and also 2 Samuel 5.2. So two prophecies that are saying he's going to come to Bethlehem. And that's where he needs to be born. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them that the time the star first appeared and then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So, how many think when Joseph and Mary knew they were going to have God's baby, how many think you would open the Bible and say, okay, this is the Messiah. How is he supposed to be born? Where is he supposed to? And we search this out in the scriptures. There's lots of prophecies. Did they do that? They went because there's a census. And David 
or not David, Joseph, who was a descendant of David, had to go because there was a decree. A Roman emperor, Augustus, made a decree that they, they have to go. Now, ladies, she's in her last month, and she's going to ride on a donkey for a long, long <laughs> time. I just drove to Texas in a comfortable car for 36 hours straight, and I was whining and complaining. Mary is big and pregnant on a donkey riding. How many have seen the, the Nativity, the, the, the newest one that they've, they've got out? Very good movie. Shows the real side of it. What time is it? Okay. Um, and so they, they end up going because of a census. They don't realize they're fulfilling prophecy. They don't realize that they're going to to Bethlehem because that's where he has to be born. They're not planning this. They're just going there to get the census done. They don't even realize. I, I, I'm going to skip the, the account of reading it because of, of time. But basically, they're going there. Mary's going to give birth. And all of a sudden, she's like, i gotta have, I got to have this baby. There's no room in the inn. So we know they go to a, a manger. It's like, is that the best we can do for a king? But the thing we forget, the king was also a lamb. He came to die. And he was the lamb of God. And what we don't understand, because culturally we don't understand this, Bethlehem was the place where the lambs for the tabernacle were prepared for the sacrifices. And so when they said, when the, the angel appeared to who? Shepherds. The shepherds that took care of the lambs that were going to be sacrificed. And the term, you know when they say, you will find them wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger? Swaddling was the term that the shepherds used to keep blemishes off of the lambs so that they would be spotless and perfect. For the sacrifice. So when they said swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, they're like the perfect lamb. Why shepherds? Because shepherds knew. And who came? A host of heaven came rejoicing. And shepherds came. In the midst of it. Why? Because they knew this is the sacrifice that we've all been waiting for. This is the one. Sure, there was a problem. Mary couldn't have her baby in a comfortable inn, in a nice comfy bed. But the plan was he had to come in a manger. He had to come wrapped in swaddling clothes. He had to come so that shepherds knew this is the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. Problem? Plan. Which one? I want to see the plan. How many want to see the plan? There's a plan. There's a plan right now that God is unfolding. And it's unfolding. And he's going to begin to make those things clear. 
to each person. I believe churches is going to begin to show us different ways that he's going to unfold these things. But we, we have to be searching that out and we have to realize that in the midst of a problem, there is always a plan. There is always a plan. And that's what we want to see. And so let's stand. If I can have just someone on the keys or on the keyboard, just playing in the background, just something. Don't let it just quiet. <clears throat> so God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for new thoughts. We thank you for new dreams. We thank you for new ways. We thank you for the new season. And God, we trust you. We trust you with those new thoughts. What, even the ones that will, you will interrupt us with that might rock our world like they did Mary's. I know you've given me some thoughts like that that have altered and changed my life. And God, we, you said that, that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, that they will be filled. So God, I ask that you would fill the longing, the hunger. And God, I thank you for the hunger that you are creating in your people. That holy dissatisfaction of there's more, there's more, there's more. I don't just want to see this. There is more. God, you can do more. God, there is so much more. So God, I ask that you would keep that hunger, that hunger for, the, for you, that hunger for righteousness, that hunger to desire to please you, God, that you would cause that to continue to grow and increase. And God, I thank you that in the right time, and in the right place and in the right season, God, you will unfold those new thoughts. You will unfold those new dreams and those new ways in that new season. We thank you for this. We thank you for this, God. We thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that your ways are perfect even though they seem strange sometimes. They are perfect. You do all things well. You do all things well. So we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our futures. We trust you. We trust you with our families. We trust you. You are good. You are good. You are good. God, we lay down our failures. We lay down our disappointments. We lay those things down at the cross. And we just receive the gift of your love and your forgiveness. And we ask for you to work in our lives. We ask that you would have your way in our lives. You are so good. You are so good.
in all the wrestling and all the fighting back and forth and the turmoil that we have in our soul so many times we just we yield our will to you we say not our will but your will be done even even when we're kicking and screaming sometimes god you know best we ask that you would work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure you are good you are good, God. You are good. You are good. One thing that Pastor Sheila and I want to encourage you to do, we want to start the new year off. New Year's Day is Sunday. The first day of this year is going to be church. And we want to set it off with a holy fast. So we're, we're asking everyone, as a church, we want to consecrate ourselves, and we want to say, God, we want to make room for you. We're saying we're going to start with the first day. We might go longer, but let's just start with the first day. Let's give him that first day. And because I just believe there are so many things he wants to do, and there's so many things that we're many times overwhelmed with. <laughs> Someone's excited about the new things that. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.